This is a Soulfire production. Yo, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Politically Homeless. I'm glad you're here. This show's a day late, but whatever. We're doing the best we can here. It was cold as fuck the past couple of days. I was like, how am I going to do the show and also keep my heater running in my little office here? That thing is loud. So I replaced it with our bathroom heater, and here we are. But we got a bluebird day now. It's nice. Um, it's going to be, I think this might be a long show. We'll see. We're going to talk a lot about, I mean, really, we're talking Rogan, we're talking Whoopi, and we're talking lockdowns. It's a new study came out about lockdowns. We're also going to talk about empathy and hypocrisy. It took me a long time to put this show together. I actually like worked my ass off trying to figure this whole thing out because there were so many things, right? You guys know, I'd hope you know by now that I consider myself more of a bullshit caller than a political commentator. Uh, I do it through the, through the lens of human behavior and politics a lot, but I'm more of a bullshit caller than I am anything else. And the amount of bullshit that I was having to sift through to get myself here today was astonishing. Um, I mean, coming from all directions, it was just, it was a clusterfuck of, of, of hypocrisy and nonsense. So getting that all sorted, I, it really felt like my brain was coming out of my ears. Like it was just melting out of me. And that's, you know, that's part of the gig, and I appreciate you guys being patient with me. But really going to talk about Rogan and kind of dive into that and and Whoopi and, and Ben Shapiro's takes on Whoopi, which were just atrocious. I mean, <sighs> the, the inability of some conservatives to be able to self-reflect is just astonishing to me. But, I mean, the same thing goes for liberals, for sure. But uh, Democrats are – they're crazy. A lot of times, they're cra- the mainstream Democrats are crazy, and they they know they're crazy. They know they're count- they, they embrace their countercultural ideas. They fly their they fly their uh, freak flag, but conservatives, not so much. I think they need a little Buddhism in their lives, to be honest with you. And maybe I, you know, I've been a little bit more. I, I, I've researched and enjoyed Buddhism for a long time. I think it's the superior belief system or to me anyways, it resonates with me deeply. And I, I, I love that. Um, and I've been getting more and more into it. So maybe that's why we're talking about empathy today. Maybe we're going to go down. Maybe I'm going to turn into Mr. Fucking Rogers of politics. Who knows? Who knows where this will all go? But I wanted to bring up something here that I didn't want to make into a segment. Um, Jordan Peterson being on Joe Rogan. And I don't want to over over Rogan this episode, but this is more about Peterson than it is about Rogan. Four hour, 15 minute, four and a half hour, something like that interview. Listen to all of it. And, you know, Michaela Peterson, somebody I'm going to try and get on, Thought Criminals. We've The, the episodes have just been so great for that so far. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the shit out of that show, and I think it's going to be awesome. You're going to get those episodes early in the Patreon, so quick shout out to the Patreon and shameless self-promotion. But this Peterson interview... If you've heard what I have to say about Peterson, I have so much respect for the guy. He influenced my dad a lot. When my dad was in in prison, he influenced me a lot in really in really important times. Not so much for his the commentary on trans stuff and whatever. Actually, it took me getting through all of that to find the value in Peterson. Um, I just didn't. It wasn't something I 
still to this day, is it something I, I, I give that much of my mental slash emotional energy to. Um, but when I got past that and the stuff that he was doing before all of that and looking at his lectures and then reading 12 Rules for Life and um, I've actually got his new book, 12 More Rules, uh, on my on my phone. I need to get break into that thing. I just want to see what he was about. But I found the episode with Rogan incredibly uncompelling. And it kind of it bored me, but I love this kind of stuff. And I looked at it, and, and being, a, like I said, a human behavior kind of nerd here, I was like, oh, yeah, right, four and a half hours with Jordan Peterson, sweet. That'll be fun. It'll be interesting. But he was talking about like free trade and and he said this black guy wasn't black. And I was like, what, dude? Like the sky's not blue all the time, but like the sky's blue. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, is that even, like, it was a joke. It was tongue in cheek. But I was also like, what? Come on, dude. Like, you know, people are going to pull that clip out. I mean, you just got to also, like I've said this a million times, biggest mistake, one of the biggest mistakes Trump ever made was not knowing the game he was playing. Uh, he thought he was playing it well, but that's because he's a he's a he's an incoherent narcissist, and that's that's why he lost to somebody who's a corpse. Um, please come at me with election fraud stuff, please. See how fast you get blocked. <laughs> but this Peterson interview, it just it just didn't do it for me, and I I spent as Peterson would say, like it was it was unclear to me as to why. Um, it was unclear to me as to why it was so uncompelling. And when I thought about it, I realized exactly why. Because due to his opinions on certain things, someone who I will say is not an expert in politics, um, I would say he's an expert in philosophy and human behavior and psychology, but not an expert in politics, not an expert in economics, but he ends up being um, interviewed mostly and discussing things mostly with right-wing commentators, which I think is giving him some brain worms uh, and giving him maybe confidence to speak about something that I don't think he really should talk about that much. He's got so much to say, right? If you ever listened to him talk about the Lion King and like narrative structure and archetypes and union psychology, I'm like, that stuff is fucking gold, dude. You could do that for, you could do 27 Joe Rogan episodes and still not cover it all because you've got hundreds of hours of lectures. Like it's just, it's crazy. And maybe Joe's not into that kind of stuff. I think that was, I think actually Joe didn't do a great job of interviewing him, uh, in that, in that way. Uh, maybe, I, 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 but I think that when you're spending your time talking to Dave Rubin and Ben Shapiro and any other, you know, conservative commentator that the kind of people that are going to have him on because he's been canceled, um, you know, there's attempts to cancel him over and over again. You, the, he ends up talking about things and getting kind of baited into talking about things that, to be frank, I don't really give a fuck what he thinks about. And it was really weird. It was really weird. And it, the, the tuxedo was also a little bit much, like, <laughs> put on a shirt and a jacket and, like, you're good. But um, it was just a little much for me, and I, it, it, it hurt me. It disappointed me. But again... It's unclear to me why, um, or it was unclear to me why, but I spent some time thinking about it, and it's sad. Same thing happened with Sam Harris, for example, and I think I've spoken about him a little bit on the show as well. Sam Harris is somebody who, I was actually talking to my wife about this for a while, who influenced my life in a really crucial time in a very positive direction for myself. When I had spent time kind of separating myself from Christianity, that's a really 
hard process, and I'm sure some of you guys understand out there. Um, there's a lot of resentment, frustration, that kind of thing. And getting into understanding spirituality without religion and understanding maybe the faults and, and giving me some talking points that helped me kind of really understand my own position and, and flush that out and then kind of moving into different spiritual and religious beliefs and understanding those. I kind of got fascinated with that. And Sam Harris was a big part of that. You know, the end of faith and 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 free will was a really big one for me and and kind of just diving into human psychology in a really, like I said, a very important time for me, a crucial time uh, for me. And, that's, and I was also dealing with a lot of uh, depression at the time, uh, had failed a business, like things had just gone, had gone kind of off the rails. And, and it was really helpful for me to kind of dig me out of that uh, between him and Alan Watts. It was a weird, that's a weird combination, but it worked out for me. <laughs> I don't know if I'd recommend that duo for most people, but for me, it worked out. Um, and that guy now thinks that I am a terrorist for being unvaccinated. And I listen to a show and all I hear is what used to be, I used to think was a, was a, was a, was a thinker, you know, is now got Trump derangement syndrome so bad that he can't see the forest for the trees and understand that these blanket protocols maybe don't apply. He's, he's now attached himself to vaccination in the same way that people attach themselves to religion. He has contradicted himself in such an astonishing way. And it, it hurts like it really does. Cause these are people that you look up to and you would, you admire and you listen to them speak and you kind of think about and the way I do it anyway is when I, especially when I've gotten enough information from a person, you know, that I'm like kind of get what they're talking about. I kind of think about how they think and what are their problem solving processes look like and how do they explore different ideas and concepts. And I hear them. That's why I love Joe Rogan. Cause you have these long episodes. That's why the thought criminals episodes are two hours is because you get a chance to really like dive into things and not just, you're not just talking from the surface. You get a chance to like really dig into like, why do you think that, you know? Um, what about this scenario? And, and you can play with ideas back and forth. And that was one of my favorite things about older Joe Rogan episodes um, before it came about, before COVID, really. I mean, COVID, it broke everything, it seems like. And I still love Joe Rogan episodes, like don't get me wrong, but it, 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 I'm kind of over, I'm tired of talking about the shit. I'm tired of uh, thinking about it. Um, I don't know why we can't move the fuck on. I, it's, it's the strangest situation here. And to see somebody who you admire just rip you to shreds, um, for a very rational decision, it sucks, man. It really does. Um, so if Sam Harris hears this, I, I would like for you to understand that like, Hey man, like you, you you're, you're espousing and, and, and embodying some of the worst, some of the worst parts of religion and then projecting that onto other people who operate from a different sense of, um, different understanding of life. You know, I mean, I get, if you want to do what you want to do, like that's, that's cool, man. Um, but you know, like the numbers just didn't add up for me in the same way. Cause I live a different life and I think, uh, every human experience is, is unique and it's in some certain ways. And, and I don't understand why, why that's the case, but it's just been a weird, there's been like this fall from grace of these people for me, which maybe is good. Maybe that's part of, uh, maturing in a certain way, or maybe that opens the door and kind of opens up a little bit of a, a energy to put it elsewhere. Um, maybe it opens my mind a little bit more, which is a good thing, but still just a weird 
a weird thing that I wanted to, to jump into and just kind of talk out. Sometimes I just like to talk things out in these intros and think about them out loud because it does help me a lot. And maybe there's some value in it for you. Maybe not. Who knows? But I know right now we're going to talk Joe Rogan in the state of things. And we'll be Goldberg and lockdowns. Let's go. Well, it's been impossible to avoid this um, Joe Rogan controversy with Spotify. Um, Spotify's stock has has dipped heavily. Uh, I don't think a lot of that. A lot of tech stocks have. If you are invested in tech stocks, you've seen a lot of red. I can speak from personal experience. So the Spotify stock drop doesn't really. I mean, I'm sure it's influenced by what's going on with Rogan and everything else. But to me, that's that's a. That's an external force that doesn't have anything to do with the value of the company. I bought a handful of Spotify stuff, which is great for me. I was like, I've been wanting to buy Spotify for a while. So it, it, it hitting 160, I was like, cool, let's go. <laughs> so that was, if there's a way to benefit from it. I, I, I'm not a financial advisor. I don't give financial advice. Probably the last person you want to hear it from. But I bought, I bought a little something for Spotify stock today. Um, but you got the situation where Rogan is being, there's calls for censorship. Uh, Neil Young, Johnny Mitchell, relatively irrelevant um, musicians from the 60s who were very, like, free-loving in the 60s and now have, have apparently switched. Also, they've sold at least 50% of their catalogs uh, to hedge funds. BlackRock is involved in that. So there's a lot of things at play here. It's much more complicated than, like, Neil Young and Joni Mitchell are pissed at Rogan and want him off Spotify. Um and it's like, now everybody's like, I'm going to Apple Music if it's, as if Apple doesn't have like some sketchy business practices and maybe maybe exploit some slave labor or, you know, even Amazon Music. They're pitching that as well. You get like a free six-month trial of Amazon Music, which is shit, by the way. I have Amazon Music on my phone just because Garth Brooks is on there. Um, so when I want to listen to Garth, I have to open that up. I, li- I literally listen to nothing else on there, just Garth Brooks. And usually just the Garth Brooks uh, live double album, which is one of the best albums of all time. So... I don't think that uh, Amazon has a has a moral high ground to stand on here over Spotify. Um, also, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts still has Joe Rogan's back catalog, which I'm sure represents a large number of their downloads. Um, you can find actually you can find episodes of Joe Rogan's experience on Apple that you can't find on Spotify, I believe. So you've got like some really interesting situations here with a lot of moving parts. But what I want to do here is really highlight. Because we've all seen the Joe Rogan kind of like apology or explanation clip. Uh, we've seen so much stuff. But what I want to look at here is is why we value certain types of misinformation more than other types of misinformation or disinformation, right? I think that Rachel Maddow spending years talking about a Russiagate conspiracy that did not exist and wasting our time and riling everybody up and escalating tensions with another uh, nuclear power is probably a little bit more dangerous than the Malone or McCullough interview on Joe Rogan. Also remember, he's had Rhonda Patrick, uh, that guy with the bow tie who's always on MSNBC, uh, Sanjay Gupta on as well. Now, I do want to see more um, what people consider mainstream voices on Rogan. We saw how that went with Sanjay, right? So I think one thing that these, these mainstream people don't want to come on to Joe Rogan's podcast. I'd like to see Tucker Carlson and uh, Brian Stelter who seem to have this like feud back and forth 
on Rogan and let him sort it out. That would be a great episode. I would love to see that. But I don't think these people actually want to be on the show because what happens is he asks hard questions that no one else asks. So I don't think it's for lack of, of him wanting to interview these people. If Matt Al wanted to go or Don Lemon wanted to go on Rogan's show, I'm sure he would have him on. Can you say the same about that? Would Maddow have Rogan on for 30 minutes? Would, would Lemon sit down with Rogan for half an hour and, and have a discussion? Unlikely. And doing three hours with Rogan is probably pretty intimidating for somebody who has been a documented liar. And all he has to do, all that Rogan would have to do with Maddow, for example, is sit her down and show her some of the uh, Matt Taibbi supercuts, which we're going to play one of those here in just a little bit. So I don't think that Rogan's lied us into any wars. I don't think um, <laughs> I don't think that he's escalated tensions with other nuclear superpowers. Um, so I don't understand why we value and culturally why people don't understand that. Now it seems like the real situation, the real issue here, is that he gets an average of 11 million downloads a day or per episode. I'm not exactly sure what that information is. I know the Malone interview got like 40 million. Uh, which is over 10% of the country, which is a, it's a bunch of people, whereas CNN primetime gets less than a million um, viewers. And I think it's like a few hundred thousand in the key demographic, which uh, the, I think the majority of Rogan's audience is in that same key demographic there that they want so badly. So really interesting stuff here. So we're going to play, we're going to start off with Brian Stelter, who we all, we all love. We all know and love Brian Stelter. So let's see what he had to say. And this is going to be, we're going to play a lot of stuff here, guys. So, um, Go find it on YouTube. We're going to put this on YouTube so you have the full clip. Maybe on Instagram it won't be there. Of course, the podcast is going to get it. But it's worth watching the whole thing. And we're going to go into a lot about how people have lied or been wrong, which those are two separate things, right? Lying is one thing, which Rachel Maddow did with Russiagate. And wrong is what Rachel Maddow was about the vaccine. Okay? So if we look at that, we say, okay, well, you can be wrong. That's okay. But maybe you're a little presumptive too. Maybe it was a little bit naive as well. Like, where's your criticism? Where's your disclaimer? Do you get a disclaimer? I don't know. I don't think so. So let's listen to what Stelter had to say. All kinds of opinions. Which sounds great, but not all opinions are created equal. You think about major newsrooms like CNN that have health departments and deaths and operations that work hard on verifying information about COVID-19. And then you have talk show stars like Joe Rogan who just wing it. Who make okay, so if I were Brian Stelter, I'd be really careful to talk about all the resources they have at their disposal because they've been wrong so many times. Like, at least if I'm wrong about something, I'm like, hey, man, I'm mixing these videos, doing the sound, sharing my opinions all at one time by myself. Like, okay, I don't have, I don't have a few researchers over here doing research. I can be wrong about things. That's a different thing. If you're talking about how much many millions of dollars you spend a year on your research team and your medical team and, and your contributors, and you're still wrong as often as you're wrong, I'd be really careful saying that out loud because it just makes it worse. Get up as they go along. And because figures like Rogan are trusted by people that don't trust real newsrooms, we have a tension, a problem that's much bigger than Spotify, much bigger than any single platform, Kate. But that's what the, is the heart of this right now. Part of the problem here also is that you see, at least when Rogan came out and apologized, right? And we're not going to play the apology video because everybody's seen it. But at least he said, hey, man, there's some things I could have done better. There's some things I could have done better. When has Brian Stelter ever said that? When is it the words, ah, I was wrong, could have done better, ever come out of his fucking mouth? It hasn't happened. There's no accountability. There's no downside to being wrong. You, In the corporate media world, you can kind of fell upwards. I mean, you're seeing that now all over the place. These like ex-CIA operatives that were wrong about so many things, especially war in Iraq. 
now they're coveted as, as, as valuable assets to the MSNBC and CNN team. And don't let Fox News off the hook, too. They're completely full of shit as well. So you don't take any responsibility for the erosion of trust in these institutions. And if you don't take responsibility, and don't, there's no accountability for anything aside from sexual misconduct, which CNN has also had its fair share of in the past several months, um, why should we trust you? That's the thing. Here's the thing about somebody like me or Rogan or anybody else who's out here in the media sphere. Sager's a good example. Crystal, these people. Jimmy Dore's a good one, right? I can be wrong. I'm wrong all the fucking time. Sometimes I don't agree with myself a week later after I say a thing, right? But I'm learning. But one thing you can trust from me is that I'm being honest with you. And if I'm wrong, at least I'm honest about what I'm saying and I may correct that down the road, Right? But I can't expect that from Stelter or Maddow or Don Lemon or any of these other, even Tucker Carlson to, to that extent, right? Or Laura Ingram or, I mean, shit. So it, that, that, there's something in that. At least I'm saying what I, what I think and what I mean and what I feel. And it's honest, even I'm not always right. And that's forgivable. But lying and deceiving people and never having zero accountability and you don't earn the forgiveness and you don't earn any trust. Let's continue. No. Yeah, but you're right. It is getting at something bigger that isn't going to be solved in one Joe Rogan video or one statement from Spotify. That's for sure. It's good to that's see right. you, Brian. Thank you that's so okay. much. The narrative. Oh, there we go. All right. Now let's move on here again. I wanted to read a piece of this from Glenn Greenwald. The pressure campaign on Spotify to remove Joe Rogan reveals the religion of liberals. Censorship. All factions at certain points succumb to the impulse to censor. For the Democratic Party's liberal adherents, silencing their adversaries has become their primary objective. And he has a picture here of, of far-right extremist Joe Rogan with, um, I guess, also uh, misogynistic Bernie Sanders. That, that's, that, that's the narrative that they're going to go with right there. <laughs> when in reality, it's left-leaning Joe Rogan and um, very principled Bernie Sanders. That, that, that's the reality, but... You can see the difference between that and the narrative. American liberals are obsessed with finding ways to silence and censor their adversaries. Every week, if not every day, they have new targets they want to deplatform, ban, silence, and otherwise prevent from speaking or being heard. By liberals, I mean the term self-described used by the dominant wing of the Democratic Party because those are not liberals. They have lost all sense of liberal ideology and all the foundations that make a liberal a liberal. But they use the term. So here we go. For years, their preference, their preferred censorship tactic was to expand and distort the concept of hate speech to mean views that make us uncomfortable <laughs> and then demand that such hateful views be prohibited on that basis. For that reason, it's now common to hear Democrats assert falsely that the First Amendment's guarantee of free speech does not protect hate speech. I'm going to add something in there. Yeah, when you expand hate speech to mean anything that you don't like, well, what does that do? Right? You've expanded the term so much that it means nothing. Their political culture has long uh, inculcated them to believe that they can con comfortably silence whoever's views they arbitrarily place into this category without being fully guilty of censorship. Constitutional illiteracy aside, the hate, we hate speech framework from justifying censorship is now insufficient because liberals are eager to silence much broader ranges of voices than those they can credibly accuse of being hateful. That is why the newest and now most popular censorship framework is to claim that their targets are guilty of spreading misinformation or disinformation. These terms by design have no clear or concise meaning, like the term terrorism. It is elastic, and that makes them so useful. When liberals 
favorite media outlets from CNN to NBC to the New York Times and the Atlantic spend four years disseminating one fabricated Russia story after the next from the Kremlin hacking into Vermont's uh, heating system and Putin's sexual blackmail over Trump to bounties on the heads of U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan to the Biden email archive being Russian disinformation and a magical mystery weapon that injures Americans' brains with cricket noises. None of that is disinformation. That requires banishment. Nor are false claims that COVID origin has proven to be zoonotic rather than a lab leak. The vastly overstated claim that vaccines present transmission of COVID-19 or that Julian Assange stole classified documents and caused people to die out and out false and wrong. Um, Corporate outlets beloved by liberals are free to spout serious falsehoods without being deemed guilty of disinformation. And because of that, they do so routinely. This disinformation term is reserved for those who question liberal pieties, not for those devoted to affirming them. This is the real functional definition of disinformation and of its little cousin, misinformation. It is not possible to agree with liberals or see the world differently than they see it. The only two choices are unthinking submission to their dogma or ask, acting as an agent of disinformation. Dissent does not exist to them. Any deviation from their worldview is inherently dangerous to the point that it cannot be heard. That is so well written. And Glenn Greenwald, one of the last, him and, him and Matt Taibbi, and maybe Barry Weiss too, are some of the last great journalists out there. Uh, I don't agree with Barry that much. I don't read her that much, but I do respect what she does. So let's move on here and see what Maddow had to say um, just a little while ago and see, see where the disclaimer is here. I don't see one on the beginning of the video, but let's check it out. It means that instead of the vaccine being able, excuse me, it means for instead of the virus being able to hop from person to person to person to person, spreading and spreading, sickening some of them, but not all of them. And the ones that it doesn't sicken don't know they have it. And then they give it to even more people because they didn't recognize they were right. Instead of the virus being able to hop from person to person to person, potentially mutating and becoming more virulent and drug resistant along the way. Now we know that the vaccines work well enough that the virus stops with every vaccinated person. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus. The virus does not infect them. The virus cannot then use that person to go anywhere else. It cannot use a vaccinated person as a host to go get more people. That means the vaccines will get us to the end of this. If we just go fast enough to get the whole population if we just go fast enough that you don't have to think it about it, that inst- that's what it means. If you just go fast enough that you don't have to think about it. It's weird, right? It's weird. There's no disclaimer there. There's no apology. And you can say, yeah, well, she was wrong and science evolves. That wasn't a, hey, this is what we think is going to happen. That was a definitive, this is what is going to happen. Does that not deserve an apology? Does that not deserve a disclaimer? Right? Are we missing something there? That's so strange to me. And this isn't the only one. This the same view has been espoused over and over again. Okay, another one that used to be described as misinformation is the lab leak, and we're going to get to that. It's wild to see when you put it all together, when you see it all mashed up. But you see, we didn't have, and and one of the biggest things, one of the biggest cohorts of the unvaccinated population is and was the wait and see group, because they said, "Hey, let's see what happens here. Maybe a variant that's not very, um, not very deadly, right? That I have a ninety nine point nine 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 percent survival rate, right? Will come through and give most of us natural immunity, which is more robust, and that'll be better. 
right? Because generally with viruses, they become less deadly and more contagious, right? They can only be good at so many things. And I'm not making this shit up. This is what virologists say, right? I'm not Alex Jones being the top scientist said this. I'm just saying this is like a consensus, right? And apparently consensuses aren't allowed to be questioned, right? But I believe that's what the, uh, the liberals would call settled science, right? Now, maybe that's not the case because maybe this thing came from a lab and that's a whole different deal. Maybe it goes the other way. But what we're seeing here is that Maddow was incredibly wrong. And she never played that clip on her show and said, hey, I was wrong about this. My bad. My bad. I'll try and do better next time not to make assumptions on incomplete information. Because that's exactly what she did here. Now, was she wrong or was she lying? Was she, was she speaking up for her sponsors? Because 70% of her ad revenue for her show comes from Pfizer. It's questions worth asking, right? But where are those questions asked? On independent media, not on mainstream media, not on corporate media. So Taibi shared this piece right here, and it's nine and a half minutes long. Uh, we're going to clip this thing down for Instagram, but the full thing will be on YouTube and on the podcast as well. If you're listening to it live on the podcast, congratulations. So we're going to play this. This is a mashup of the lab leak hypothesis it's very well done. Let's check it out. Officials now believe COVID lab leak theory. A lab leak or a mistake. Um, that this guy was, was on Rogan. Discarded. Ready, Ted? Ready, Bill? Let's go back into history. Fauci dismisses lab as source of virus. Ignore the conspiracy theories. The conspiracy, the coronavirus was man-made hey, in a lab lie in a lot too. China. There is no reason to believe any of these conspiracy theories that it was leaked from the lab. A theory that's almost certainly not true. A conspiracy theory that the coronavirus originated inside a lab in China. Like it was a conspiracy of some kind. Lab wasn't source of virus. You can draw a line through it and say that it didn't happen. Oh, we know it didn't. The Wuhan lab conspiracy theory. Debunk conspiracy theory. The fringe theory that the virus came from a lab in Wuhan, China. Scientists debunk lab theory. The conspiracy theory about COVID coming from a lab in Wuhan. Oh my God, coronavirus came from Wuhan. The conspiracy theory. Outright ridiculous conspiracy theories. Debunked bunkum. Scientists know. Experts have more than enough evidence to show. Pants on fire. Lab conspiracy theories debunk. Put it in the conspiracy theory bucket. Okay. The biggest the crisis out there now is the in the false information being circulated on social media about the virus. But the virus happened when our regular coronavirus married this other virus, made children, and then the rest is history. Science. And I can tell you for sure it was not manufactured in a lab. Lab leak conspiracy theory. The conspiracy theory to manage xenophobia. Very destructive conspiracy theory. Conspiracists pushing misinformation. Conspiracy theories. That flurry of conspiracy theories. Prejudiced lab conspiracy theories. These conspiracy theories damage our real world. We don't need to invoke conspiracy theories. The theory is bunk. The idea that this escaped from a lab is pure baloney. Complete baloney. Widely debunked. Conspiracy theories run Rampant. Conspiracy theories that it somehow escaped the lab that was Finance in guy. I think that's unlikely. Scientists rule out the idea. Scientists condemning conspiracy theories. This conspiracy theory that the coronavirus originated in a lab. Conspiracy theories on the origins of the virus in the Wuhan lab, which of course are unfounded. A conspiracy theory that the coronavirus came from a lab. It's another false claim. The Wuhan China lab at the center of conspiracy theories. At the center of conspiracy theories. The target of conspiracy theories 
the focus of conspiracies. The lab in Wuhan, China, that's been an object of conspiracy theories. At the center of conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories. The Wuhan lab responding to conspiracy theories. There's no way that it could be leaked from the lab. So you're 100% confident there was no leak, no accident. I'm confident there's no leak. 100%. 100%. Well, <laughs> that's good enough for me. <laughs> Scientists worldwide agree that the virus occurred naturally. And the uh, most likely scenario is is uh, it occurred from, you know, bats in, in, the, in the marketplace. Bats were not sold at Wuhan wet markets. I don't think it's a vast international conspiracy. I think the bats got too close in the wet market. As soon as I heard there was a new pneumonia, I said, well, a new pneumonia, Wuhan, wet market. It was uh, from bat to human in a uh, illegal wildlife market. I like how Fauci's like, bat pneumonia, wet market. It's like, how about bat pneumonia, bat coronavirus lab in Wuhan? Like, <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Bats. Most likely came from bats, yes. And came from bats in, a, in this wildlife market. Yes. Uh, she is very convinced, about 90% sure. Coronavirus most likely spread from a market in China, not from a lab in Wuhan. The growing consensus is that this virus came from a market in Wuhan, not consensus. from the lab. It's probably from a wet market in China. Most likely in a wildlife wet market. It was most likely a wet market in Wuhan where coronavirus originated. The source of this virus is the Chinese wet markets. Likely probably wet markets. In the market. The wet market. Experts say the virus originated in this wet market. Market. The market, which uh, is most likely the origin of the virus. The wet market seems like the most likely source. Scientific consensus is that this came from a wet market. Began in a wet market. From a wet market. Most scientists believe China's wet market should be the focus. Wet markets that bring in animals that are next to bats in caves in wherever, who knows. One of the early, more plausible theories was that the wildlife wet market in Wuhan was where the virus first made its species jump from an animal a human. But none of the animals at the market tested positive for the virus. <laughs> Several of the original cases did not have any contact with that food market. The virus went into that food market before it came out of that food market. Concerning comments from Senator Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton was playing a dangerous game with his coronavirus speculation. Just a few miles away from that food market is China's only biosafety level four super laboratory Weird. that researches human infectious diseases. Tom Cotton was being a deadly bobble-throated slapdick nutcase. Just like the Soviet propagandists who tried to convince the world that the CIA invented AIDS. We know that they were conducting very dangerous research into coronaviruses. Conspiracy theorist Tom Cotton flogs conspiracy theory. We don't know where it originated, but we do know that we have to get to the bottom of that. A coronavirus conspiracy theory that was already debunked. A thoroughly debunked theory. We don't know, again, where this virus originated. He's spreading conspiracy theories. It's so important that we at least ask the question and get the evidence. Tom Cotton, the rational conspiracy monger. China continues to block our ability to ask those questions and get that evidence. Tom Cotton, conspiracy theories. We need to at least ask the question. Conspiracy theories pushed by Tom Cotton. China right now is not giving any evidence on that question. It's very harmful to stir up suspicion. It's very dangerous. Tom Cotton is one of the most dangerous and irresponsible people. This will create racial discrimination, xenophobia, will create panic. We don't want to have a public panic. Tom Cotton Cotton is a fear-mongering conspiracy pusher. We'd want to 
err on the side of caution. Tom Cotton spreading debunked rumors. So much is unknown. Cotton has been criticized for giving just the whiff of credibility to a conspiracy theory. Fringe theory. Conspiracy theory. Fringe theory that the coronavirus is man-made. Brian, what's the best way to sift through all these myths out there on social media and avoid the misinformation? Well, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> teamed up with Fauci to decide what information <laughs> counts as disinformation. Facebook then censored the lab leak theory. Both scientists and the U.S. intelligence community agree that this coronavirus was not man-made. The virus was not, not, not man-made. That is not a possibility. It didn't come from a lab. This was not made by men. It was too clunky weird. The virus was not man-made. It's not man-made. Again, scientists are convinced this is not man-made. It was not man-made. COVID-19 was not man-made. This virus definitely wasn't man-made. U.S. intelligence said that COVID-19 is not man-made. The WHO says the virus could not be man-made. It's not man-made. Dr. Anthony Fauci is shooting down theories that the coronavirus was man-made. The conspiracy theory suggesting the coronavirus was man-made is very, very strongly leaning towards this could not have been artificially or deliberately manipulated. Was not man-made or genetically modified. Not man-made or genetically modified. Not man-made or genetically modified. Wide scientific consensus that the COVID-19 virus was not man-made or genetically modified. It was not man-made or genetically modified. The intelligence community this morning saying that they did not believe the coronavirus was man-made or genetically modified. But it is not, not man-made man or genetically modified. Scientific consensus that COVID-19 virus was not man-made or genetically modified. COVID-19 was not man-made or genetically modified. Not man-made or genetically modified. The virus was not man-made or genetically modified. Very strongly supported by scientific evidence that it was not deliberately media, uh, uh, mutated and deliberately changed. But we now know from emails unredacted that Dr. Fauci was warned early on by top scientists that the virus likely came from a lab leak and looked genetically manipulated. No way. Yes way, Ted! Oh. Beautiful. Beautiful. So when you think about all of that, when you think about all of that, I know that was long, but um, eight and a half minutes, but it's important to see the pervasiveness of misinformation on mainstream media as we have this discussion. And I think... Personally, the last thing that these corporate slash mainstream commentators, propagandists, whatever you want to call them, CIA operatives, all kinds of things, I think the last thing that they want is to be on the Joe Rogan experience. I can't think of a time when one of these people invited accountability. I can't think of a time that one of these people acted with an ounce of integrity. And if you were to go on something like JRE, you stand a like there's a likelihood that he might pull this up and say, "What about this? What about this, guys? What are we going to do here? How is this going to work? Can you explain this? Can you take responsibility for it?" So I think the last thing that they want is voices on JRE that are more mainstream. I think the only thing they really want to do is shut them down. And I don't think it's going to work. 
Because what would happen, somebody brought this up on Breaking Points the other day, is Spotify deplatformed Rogan. They'd have to pay him out because you know he put that shit in a contract, right? They'd have to pay him out, and then all he would do was use that money to create an independent media empire. And he wouldn't lose listeners at all. At all. We'll see how it goes. I think it's going to fizzle out. It might be fizzled out fizzled out by the time you see this video. But hopefully I brought this to you in a different way than what you've seen other commentators do. Because that's what I like to do. And I appreciate you hanging with me for that. <laughs> that's super long, super long segment. But I think it deserved it. And I think you guys deserved it. If I had one piece of advice for Rogan, if you're going to invite these people on, that's the way it's going to go. Do it publicly. Say, hey, at Maddow, I want to have you and at Tucker Carlson tonight on the show. See what happens. Do it on Twitter. See what happens. Tweet at Anthony Fauci. Say, hey, let's do three hours. You got time. Why not? And let them deal with public pressure. Turn the tables, motherfucker. Turn the tables. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Cured Nutrition. Guys, if you're feeling like you're feeling like you need a little something extra to get through the day, right? Maybe work's get a little, little monotonous. Maybe you're not finding yourself as motivated. Maybe you're feeling like you need to take a key bump just to get through your work. Even if you're very passionate about your work, sometimes you can just get burned out and you're just drinking energy drinks or Red Bull or hammering cold brew at 5 p.m. and fucking your sleep up and just creating this cycle where you're just never really getting as much done as you want. I say get rid of the illegal drugs. Get rid of the Red Bull, which is kind of like an illegal drug. Don't be drinking Monster. You know how much crazy weird shit is in that? And I love cold brew, but man, drinking that stuff after 3 p.m. is just a, it, it creates a cycle of bullshit. What I think you should do is go check out the perform section at curednutrition.com. Are you looking for mental clarity and clean, sustained energy? Our performance line has been engineered to take your heart's greatest pursuits and make them a reality, naturally. Guys, these guys, they blend medicinal mushrooms, adaptogens, and cannabinoids together in a very potent, a very potent combination to give you what you need. Now, what I recommend you do is head over to Cured and snag that Daily Dose Bundle. You can get Rise, Aura, and Zen. That's morning, that's raw, and that is nighttime. Dude, let's just let's just look at what Rise does here. Boost performance and endurance, encourage cognitive enhancements, boom, nootropic effects, baby. Promotes stress resilience, don't you love that? Provides stimulant-free stimulant energy without jitters get shit done and feel good doing it that's the best i love those days when you're just getting shit done and you're feeling good doing it um the aura line says it protects your gut lining which dude gut health so fucking important like for every even your mood is it is can be adjusted depending on your gut health crazy encourages a healthy gut microbiome boost immune function to keep you from getting sick what improves nutrient absorption you want to get everything out of what you eat what you put in your body reduces bloat and improves mood and then you got zen encourages relaxation i take this at night it's so bomb combat stress promotes deep sleep and rem sleep cycles 
wake up refreshed and non-drowsy, get to sleep and stay asleep because good sleep makes good days. Okay, good sleep time makes good awake time. So here's what you need to do. Go over to curednutrition.com, check out the perform section. And if you want your dog to perform too, they got dog treats and they got dog CBD. If your dog's a little anxious, gets a little wound up, it's good for that as well. Our dogs dig those treats. Guys, curednutrition.com, use promo code HOMELESS. You're going to get 10% off of your order and free shipping. I love this stuff. I just got a new package the other day. I need to open that thing, but I still got so much left. I'm just loving it. And CBD, I mean, there's so much CBD out there, so many CBD companies. You got to know that you're getting the goods. And having known the founder of this company for a while, um, being a friend of their of their family, love those guys. They're such. They were at my birthday party. We had a great time. Um, but yeah, they're so fun. They're really great people, and they do a, an awesome job, and are really taking this thing with a lot of integrity. And they're also supporting this podcast, which means they support independent creators. They choose to support independent creators that are doing what we do, and I love that. They're pro free speech. They're pro freedom. If you get what I'm saying, and. Um, they're pro you. That's what really matters. So curednutrition.com, promo code HOMELESS will get you 10% off and free shipping. The link is in the show notes. And you know what other link is in the show notes besides the Patreon, shameless plug, uh, is the link to Element. Elemental Labs, the creators of the Element Beverage. I've already had one today when I was working out, doing my functional bodybuilding, getting my pump on. During workouts, Element is the bomb. Because sometimes during workouts, I like, neglect water, don't drink enough water in between exercises or in between sets. But when I, when it ta- it's so palatable, it's so palatable with zero sugar. That just makes it that the ingredient list is it's like four things long. It's great. And it gets you super bioavailable electrolytes, which increases hydration, especially if you live at altitude or just do stuff. You like to train, you like to do jujitsu, you sweat a lot, or if you're eating a low carb paleo slash, um, uh, carnivore style diet. If you're trying that out, trying to lean up a little bit, cause summer's just around the corner guys, it's coming. It is coming. You need to get bodied up. You know what I'm saying? And part of that is staying hydrated and staying satiated. And one of the great things I love about this and I actually learned this from Rob Wolf, who's one of the creators of element, one of the founders, um, is that palatability and reward is a huge driver of human behavior, right? Just think about it like this. If you were to eat, um, a bag of potato chips, a bag of Lay's potato chip is like five potatoes, okay? Think about trying to eat five just baked russet potatoes in one sitting. Almost impossible, right? But you could eat a whole bag of Lay's, no problem. And that's because it's fried. It is has salt, which increases the palatability, which is why Element is so awesome. It's got oils, which also increase the palatability and reward in your system. You get dopamine from it. It's like a drug, and that trash food is like a drug. If you're struggling with getting um, like cravings and snacking and doing things like that, just hammering one of these elements, it gives you a little, it, it satiates you and it has, it's so palatable that it does kind of like rewire that palatability and reward system with salt and electrolytes and magnesium. Fantastic stuff, guys. Check it out. If you haven't tried it yet, you can get a free variety pack. All you have to do is cover shipping. So you have to pay for shipping, but the variety pack is free. Shipping's five bucks. All you got to do is go to drinkelement, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash wanders to get that variety pack of their most popular flavors. I love, right now I'm on that watermelon and grapefruit. Those are my favorite. I mean, citrus is great. I've heard a lot of people say citrus is is their favorite. I love the lemon habanero in the summertime, but for whatever reason in the wintertime, I'm liking um, grapefruit and watermelon. They also have some that are meant to be drinking, drank hot. So you have um, a chocolate and then a, a chocolate, a mint chocolate. And if you're into that mint chocolate, the, it tastes so natural. It's not chalky. It's not, it doesn't, 
it doesn't have that like chemically taste like sports drinks and and different flavored bullshit. It's not that. All right. It's fantastic. Get yourself that variety pack. It's five dollars. No skin off your ass, right? So <laughs> check it out, guys. D R I N K L M N T dot com slash wanders. The link for that is in the show notes. And that's for that variety pack. Just have to pay shipping to get it. I hope you dig it. I hope, I hope you tried it. You guys have been supporting these sponsors. I mean, we've had really good uh, results from these ads. That's why they're still doing it. Um, one, I think it's because these ad reads that I do are probably some of the best in the game, right behind Tim Dillon and Duncan Trussell. But other than that, it's because this shit's good. You guys keep coming back, keep buying it, and I appreciate that. Uh, it's a great way to support this show, and it's a great way to support really awesome companies that are based here in the States, doing the best they can, and uh, making quality products. So check them out, guys. Zen, uh, Cured Nutrition and Element. Links are in the show notes. You get some. Now let's get back to the show. So now we're going to talk about Whoopi fucking Goldberg, <laughs> which her actual name is Karen, by the way. And she chose the name Gold, Whoopi Goldberg. So I thought that was, pretty, that was a nice little fun tidbit that I, uh, I learned today. But obviously under fire, it's a huge deal. She's on a two-week suspension from The View. Uh, I personally think that's a little bit uh, silly, as I think most cancel culture is silly. But this, uh, we're going to talk about this. But here's what I'm going to do different. And just the same way I did with the Rogan thing. Instead of just playing the clip that I want you to see to support what I have to say, I'm going to play this entire mouse to kill a mockingbird segment from the view, uh, the whole thing so you get the full context. No one's fucking doing that. I don't understand why. I, I guess it is, it's clickbaity, whatever. I want you to see, hear the whole conversation, hear how it was going. The view is a bunch of like boomer old ladies talking about things that other boomer old ladies talk about, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't watch The View. I'm not a fan of The View. I do like Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost and Sister Act. I mean, Sister Act is an incredible movie. Let's just be real. Okay, even the sequel is good. But that being said, I don't expect her to have um, everything figured out. And I also don't expect her social views or, um, or political views to make any sense or appear valid to anyone because that's not what she does. Okay? Let's just... Be clear about that. And we're going to go through that, and then we're going to talk about Ben Shapiro's take on this, which I found absolutely atrocious. So let's play this whole segment from The View here. It's only six minutes, so bear with me here. But you need to hear the full context, and then we'll jump into uh, her response on Colbert, and then we'll jump into Shapiro's response. We'll kind of break them all down and do what we do on Politically Homeless, which is call bullshit where bullshit needs to be called. Two schools are being accused of banning books after one in Washington state pulled To Kill a Mockingbird off their required reading list after complaints from students and parents, including a former black student who said it made her uncomfortable, and a Tennessee school pulled the graphic novel Mouse out of their lessons on the Holocaust because it contained some nudity and some bad language. Personally, I'm shocked because, you know, given the story of Mouse, I'm, I'm surprised that that's what, that's what made you uncomfortable, the fact that there was some nudity and- uh, That's a good point. I mean, it's, it's about the Holocaust, the killing of six million people, but that didn't, that didn't bother you. But the, the naked- So you see how it can change? It changes the whole story and kind of what this feels like when you hear that part, right? Like. I'm surprised that the uh, that the nudity and the foul language was the problem because it's about the killing of six million people, which was terrible and evil, right? So if you put that in there, it changes things just a bit. I'm not sure that they don't use the naked part 
as a kind of a uh, canard yes. to throw you off from, from the I fact agree. that they Maybe. don't like history that makes white Maybe. people look bad. Mm -hmm. Well, white, this is why people doing it to white people. Yeah. So and this yeah. is, you know, y'all go fight amongst yourselves, but don't, <laughs> you know. Well, and look at what kids watch these days and the music they listen to, to say that when proving or, or showing them a work of history or art or something that happened, uh, is bad language or nudity, turn off reality TV, turn off the radio, turn off everything they're doing because kids are exposed to this stuff really yeah. early in inappropriate situations, not ones where you're learning or teaching. Yeah, and the nudity is, the, his, is a drawing of his mom who died during the Holocaust. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it, in Mouse, which but is the other thing. I, I, it's I just insane. But I don't know what, what's going it's on. It's story it's about It's about the words. It's about the N-words. Yeah, the, yes. the girl is triggered the in words. the class by well, the word. Well, because if you're sitting amongst lots of students and you're reading it out loud, yeah. it comes up a lot and yeah. makes people uncomfortable. And especially if you're the only yeah. black, black student in the, there. I mean, so that was what they're talking about. Triggering. I don't know if that should stop people from having it as reading, but it's stopping as required reading. Well, so that's a, there's an entire bill moving through the Florida legislature yes, right is. now mm -hmm. about banning any conversation in schools that make people feel uncomfortable because yeah. of their race or gender. Which is absolutely fucking retarded. Moving on. And there's also in Florida a bill banning talking about LGBTQ conversations. It's being referred to as don't say gay. So I don't know what's happening with all of this banning going mm -hmm. on. You know, we talked about you Beloved know. being banned, Mouse, To Kill a Mockingbird, <laughs> conversations. I think... Well, you're part of it. Like, you understand that, right? Like, you're, you're part of that. You're on the other side of it, but you don't understand the banning that's happening on the opposite side from you, even though they're mirror images of one another. Like, I just don't... I don't understand how that's easily missed. I think it's making it very difficult to teach kids. Well, and all these people who, who that's talk about it difficult to teach kids? people being Funny. snowflakes, how do you not this raise is, snowflakes if you don't expose the plan, them to reality? Right? This was yeah. the plan with these yeah. anti-history laws that started being passed, these CRT, alleged CRT laws that started being passed. I don't think people saw far enough into the future. You start banning discussions about race, then you start banning discussions about the Holocaust, then you start banning mm -hmm. uh, discussions about the LGBTQ community. That's where it started, and this was all very planned. And, and in my view, and what bothers me the most is people saying, I don't want my children to be uncomfortable. Well, how about your children being uncomfortable in, mean, in a, a way of learning empathy, in a way of, of, of learning sorrow, in a way of, of, of you know, being able to empathize with other people's plights? I've always said if my children are, are subjected to racism at, at a very early age, which they are, then your child should be uh, okay with being, having a little bit of discomfort and learning so, about you know, the racism Sonny, that exists. I observe that young children are naturally empathetic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that the empathy is kind of drained out of them by their parents and, and yeah. things that they hear out there. It's mm -hmm. that song. It's the You've song that Barbara... You've got to be carefully taught right. from yeah. South Pacific. Yeah. You know, my grandson, I remember when he was around three or four years old, there was a kid who was in trouble for some reason, and I... I, I mean, it gives me chills. He put... My grandson put his mm -hmm. arm around the kid. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, I'm with you. <laughs> And when you talk about empathy, that's children are naturally yeah. like that. Well, it's the well, parents' and, and issue. And if you it's teach a white issue. kid what happened to his his friend who happens to be mm -hmm. black, he might feel terrible about what happened. That doesn't mean he feels bad that he did something. Exactly. This is a confusion that they're creating, I believe. Well, 
Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that colleges, this all started in colleges and universities and not wanting to make kids uncomfortable. And we talked about it once here on the show with actually Van Jones when he said, if I send my kids to school, I want them to be uncomfortable. I want people to push back on their beliefs because otherwise we're not preparing kids to go out into the real world. We're preparing them for a world that doesn't exist outside. But you're talking about safe spaces and uh, kids having a safe place to cry, which is like, I guess their dorm is adequate. I don't know. But yeah, there's a lot going on there. And I feel like if you look at what these ladies are saying, which after watching this is the most I've watched The, the View, I think, ever. Um, this is the Joe Rogan experience for boomer ladies. That's what The View is. And I don't know if they realize that or not at all. They can have me on. We can discuss it outside of their own house. Well, also, if you're yeah. going to do this, then let's be truthful about it because the Holocaust isn't about race. No. No, it's well, not about maybe race. Maybe well, yeah. no, it's about, a different it's, race. But it's, it's not about race. It's not about well, race. What is it about? Because you, it's about man's inhumanity to man. That's what it's about. But it's about white supremacy. Which is also well, what racism is about. It's not, it's not about ideal race. It's but these are two Roma. white groups of people. Well, they how do we have to black people see them as white and they But you're missing the point. You're yeah. missing the point. Yeah. The minute you turn it into race, it goes down this alley. Let's talk about it for what it is. It's how people treat each other. It's a problem. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, because black, white, Jews, uh, everybody eats each other. So is it, if you're uncomfortable, if you hear about mouse, should you be worried? Should, should your child say, oh my God, I, I, I wonder if that's me? No, that's not what they're gonna say. They're gonna say, I don't wanna be like that. Well, hopefully. Well, I wanna be cruel. Yeah, and well, yeah. most kids, most kids they, they don't wanna be cruel. No, they don't. And, and we're, living in a, you know, we're living in an era where people are, are comparing vaccine cards to the yellow stars, where people are comparing mm -hmm. vaccinations to what Anne Frank yeah. went through. Yeah. So it is necessary for kids to learn about yeah, the Holocaust. To learn about, to learn about man's what? inhumanity to man, however it exposes itself. I have to cut you off. I just want to say fast. that Mouse was banned and it flew to top 20 of Amazon's rules last week. Okay, so there's that. Now, let's just, on the merits of that piece, she's wrong about certain things, right? So I read this book a while back, back in uh, when I was kind of like investigating different theological origins and what they mean. And just pure curiosity, I read this book called God is Not One. It's a good book. Um, and I hadn't thought much about Judaism and Jews outside of, you know, like World War II stuff. You know, it's, it's just not something I considered all that much. And I was, because I'm a secular person or before that I was a Christian. Like it just, it wasn't something that was in my purview very often. But it talked about how um, Jews are the only it's the only race that is also a religion, right? So you can be Jewish and not Jewish, like a non-practicing Jew is what people say, or you can be converted to Judaism but not be Jewish. And it's that's a little bit confusing, but I understand kind of where Whoopi's coming from because if you are a black person in the United States and you see race through a different lens of a Jew, right? Like this is just a different thing. A Jewish person's gonna have a different lens on what race means than, than uh, a black person. And in the United States, generally speaking, race was determined on skin color. Now, were Italians and Sicilians and Germans and other people persecuted against early on? Uh, the Native Americans are another one that were seen as an inferior species. The westward expansion and, and what happened with the Native Americans, which, uh, by the way, 
People like Candace Owens and Ben Shapiro will say it wasn't that big of a deal because they were kind of hurting each other anyways, which I don't understand how that's much different than Holocaust denial, by the way. Can't really like puzzle that one out uh, from over there at the Daily Wire. But we have our own atrocities here that are different than what was going on in Germany and Europe and Russia and these other places. It's different. Now, the lens in which you see that through, you can be wrong and won't be as absolutely wrong about some of the things she said here. But again, you can see kind of where she's coming from. Okay, so she's wrong. That's it. Was it anti-Semitic? Absolutely not. That was not anti-Semitic in the least. As a black person, she sees white people as white people. And Jews have been considered white for a while now. I don't know, like, I, I don't have a dog in that fight. As I get, I'm not religious, I'm not black, and I'm not Jewish. So you look at it and you're like, okay. Then she goes on Colbert the next day. Let's, che- let's check that out. And this is what people are calling doubling down, which I don't really understand, but let's check it out anyways. Thank you. Good to see you again. And see you again. And you. Now, you made some news this morning. Yes. On The yes, View. I did. Oh, same day. We were talking wow. about the Holocaust. Yeah. And w- w- would you care to uh, follow up, clarify what you said this morning? I don't know. Because if it I, confused it, some people. It, it upset a lot of people. Yes. Which was never, ever, ever, ever my intention. I okay. thought we were having a discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I've, I feel being black, when we talk about race, it's a very different thing to me. Mm-hmm. So I said that I, I felt that the Holocaust wasn't about race. And people got very, very, very angry and still are angry. I mean, I'm getting, you know, all of the, the mail from folks and mm-hmm. the very real anger because people feel very differently. But I thought it was a, a salient discussion because as a black person, I think of race as being something that I can see. So I see you and I know what race you are. And the discussion was about how I felt about that. I felt that, that it was really more about man's inhumanity to man and how horrible people can be to people. And we're seeing it. And I want to bring that up here. That's also what racism is, which I don't understand. You know what I'm saying? It's like, when you think about race, like the human race, is a, so we can extrapolate that out all the way. Like white supremacy is man's inhumil, in, 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 um, inhumanity to man, the Holocaust, westward expansion of the Native Americans, how they've been treated. All of these things are man's. In, I mean, go, we, can go, we can take that in, in so many different directions. Endless wars, um, Israel and Palestine. Oh, there we go. Now, now I'm going to be accused of being anti-Semitic because I criticized a, uh, a powerful nation of killing innocent civilians, which is a fact. But no, can't do that. Can't do that, right? It's a weird deal. Manifest itself these days. But people were very angry and they said, no, no, we are a race. And I, I, I understand. I understand. I, I felt differently. I respect everything everyone is saying to me. And I... I you know, I don't want to fake apologize. You know, I, I was, I'm very upset about, that people are misunderstood what I was saying. And so because of it, uh, they're saying that I'm anti-Semitic and that uh, I'm denying the Holocaust and all these other things, which. Like, and that's the thing too, the, 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 the Holocaust now piece, because she opened that segment up with talking about how 6 million Jews died in the Holocaust. 
but they're calling her a Holocaust denier. That's, that's, that's strange. You know, would never occur to me to do. I thought we were having a discussion about race, which everyone I think is having. As the white guy in the conversation uh-huh. here, I am, I am neither uh, Jewish nor am I black, and mm-hmm. so I have a different perspective all of this. Yes. It seems to me that whiteness is a construct created by colonial powers um, during the beginning of colonial imperi- imperialist mm-hmm. era in order to exploit other people, and that they could apply it to all different kinds of people, that idea of race. And the American experience tends to be based on skin. Yes. And so that is what race means to me. Mm-hmm. When you talk about uh, being a racist, I was saying, you can't call this racism. This was evil. Mm-hmm. This, wasn't, this wasn't based on the skin. You couldn't tell who was Jewish. Mm-hmm. They had to delve deeply to figure it out. Well, I think one of the reasons why the people might say, and again, I, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I am... I'm not Jewish and I'm black, right. but as someone who understands, uh, you know, what I've read of how the op- Nazis operated, when they found out that you were of the Jewish race, right. that's, that's why they'd make you wear a star yes. so they could see you So they could identify you. you. Yes. But my point is they had to do the work. If you see, if the Klan is coming down the street mm-hmm. and I'm standing with a Jewish friend and neither one, well, I'm going to run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But if my friend decides not to run, they'll get passed by most times because you can't tell who's Jewish. You don't know. It's not something that people say, oh, that person is Jewish or this person is Jewish. And so that's what I was trying to explain. And I understand that not everybody sees it that way and that uh, I did a lot of uh, harm, I guess, to myself. And people, you know, decided I was all these other things. I'm, I'm actually not. And I'm incredibly uh, torn up by being told these things about myself. And, you know, I get it. Folks are angry. I accept that. And I did it to myself. This was my, uh, my thought process. And I will work hard not to think that way again. Have you, have you come to understand that the Nazis saw it as race? Well, because they might, like, well, asking the Nazis, they would say, yes, it's a racial issue. Well, see, this is what's interesting to me, because the Nazis lied. It wasn't. They, they had issues with ethnicity, not with race, because most of the Nazis were white people, and most of the people they were attacking were white people. So to me, I'm thinking, how can you... How can you say it's about race if you are fighting each other? So it all really began because I said, how will children, how will we explain to children what happened in Nazi Germany? This wasn't, I said, this wasn't racial. This was about white on white. And everybody said, no, 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 it was racial. And so that's what this all came from. So once again, don't write me anymore. I know how you feel. Okay, I already know, I get it. And uh, I'm going to take your word for it and never bring it up again. We have to take a quick break, uh, but stay. Okay, so let's break down that little piece there. Whoopi Goldberg was born, and I looked this up while we were watching that, in 1955. Okay, so she's 70 years old almost, close to it. Um, 
if you think that a black person born in 1955 didn't experience racism, I would call you incredibly naive. And uh, we're going to get into, into Shapiro's takes here in just a second, but you got to understand kind of where she's coming from. And I don't understand her difference because there was a big problem with her saying, you know, this is you guys doing this to yourselves. I can't count the number of times that I've heard Ben Shapiro talk about black on black crime. I don't understand. It's like, hey, this is y'all's thing. Y'all figure this out. How is that different? Is it? Maybe I'm wrong, but it's something to think about, right? So a black person born in 1955, let's just use a different example. Um, I was, as a child, um, bordering on obese, right? So I have a kind of obsession and a little bit of a body dysmorphia based on my childhood experience that kind of coats my experience in life now. Right, the way that I eat, the way I see things, the way I view the world, it led to me to really investigating like um, uh, where our food comes from, challenging different ideas when it comes to conventional wisdom around food. That's a normal thing, right? My childhood experience coded my lens of perception towards the rest of my life. Now, can you see how a black person born in the fifties, right, was around for all kinds of shit? was a kid when, when Martin Luther King was killed. Saw those things, was around for those things, how that might coat their lens of perception going forward. It's simple, basic childhood development and psychology. So now let's go into Shapiro's takes here and, and, and just look at the vitriol that he spews. And again, I defend people's right to talk their ideas out. I think it's a very important thing for us to do as a culture. And that may mean being able to say things that somebody perceives as racist or problematic and being able to, being able to have a discussion. I remember on Rogan's podcast, which is funny, right? Because <laughs> he's the one being attacked now. He talked about this, uh, this black musician who had, who had pulled like a hundred people, a hundred men out of the clan because they had never sat down and had a conversation with the black man before. Right. And do you think that that guy didn't hear things that were triggering and racist from those people, but he persisted and had the conversations and did a lot of good because of it and has become an icon. I forget the guy's name. We'll have it looked up. We'll put it on the screen right now. But let's get into what Shapiro has to say and his logic here, which I think is, is incredibly flawed. Um, and I'm going to try and treat him as fairly as I'm treating Whoopi as an objective observer who's not black or Jewish. Let's check it out. Goldberg, yesterday she did her full apologies. You'll remember that two days ago, Whoopi Goldberg went on The View and she suggested that the Holocaust was not about race. And this tied into a broader ideology of the left, which suggests that Jews are white people, the and therefore the Holocaust was actually white people attacking white people, which is a thing she actually said on air. Then she went on Stephen Colbert, where she quasi-apologized and then doubled down and suggested once again that the Holocaust was not about racism because it was white people attacking other white people. She issued a written statement. The written statement came out before the Colbert appearance, but probably was written after she had taped for Colbert already. In any case, she came out on the air yesterday, and then she did her fulsome apology. Here was Whoopi Goldberg apologizing on The View yesterday. I said something that I feel a responsibility for not leaving unexamined because my words upset so many people, which was never my intention. I said that the Holocaust wasn't about race. And it was instead about man's inhumanity to man. But it is indeed about race 
because Hitler and the Nazis considered Jews to be an inferior race. Now, words matter, and mine are no exception. I regret my comments, as I said, and I stand corrected. I also stand with the Jewish people, as they know and y'all know, because I've always done that. Well, I mean, to be technical, yeah, I haven't. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when Whoopi Goldberg was retweeting things about massacred Palestinians by the terrible Jews over in Israel. Okay, this is where it gets... Okay, I'm gonna try. <laughs> I'm gonna try and be level-headed here. Criticizing a powerful nation for killing civilian children is not anti-Semitism, Ben. I understand that you're a Zionist, and I understand, but the way that you view things like systemic racism, right? As if, okay, let's just let's just put this out there as an example because we're going down the fucking rabbit hole today. Say a Jewish family, right, lost a family member. They had children out. Maybe they got out of the country, whatever. They lost a family member, a grandfather, something like that, grandmother, whatever, right? A matriarch or patriarch of their, of their family in the Holocaust. That serves to destabilize that family in certain ways. Now, around the same time, because that ended 77 years ago, not that long ago. Now, think about, I don't know, maybe a black family's grandfather, gets accused of uh, speaking to a white woman or sleeping with a white woman, even worse. Or maybe gets arrested on some petty charge or maybe some trumped up bullshit. Maybe he got beat to death just for being black in the wrong place at the wrong time, which happened around that same time, my friend. Wouldn't that serve to destabilize a black family in the same way? We're over here having victim Olympics. When we can just agree that they're both terrible and some people have bad takes on bad things, but the out and out defense of Israel over everything and the inability to accept that they do fucked up shit in the same way. And I treat them exactly like I treat the America, the United States of America. Okay. If we're over there blowing fucking civilians up, I'm going to say something about it. And if Israel is blowing civilians up and thinking that that's going to make less terrorists, what it does is radicalizes more people and persists to create the threat because they see Palestinians as an, as an inferior race. Let's call it what it is and be fucking honest about it. In the same way that in the Jim Crow era, which still has lingering impacts, and I will die on that hill, black people were seen as an inferior race. So there's a lot more common ground here than there isn't, and being upset about dead Palestinian civilians is not anti-Semitic. She, uh, she tweeted way back in November of 2012. Question, who started this round of fighting between Palestinians and Israel? Everyone wants to retweet about their side. Someone explain, please. And then she retweeted a comment suggesting that, the, that men, women, and children in Gaza, Palestine have been getting massacred for the past week. Right? That is what she retweeted. So yeah, I mean, it's ignorant. And she's been reflective of the left's perspective on Jews and their place in the intersectional pyramid for quite a while here. So no, I, I don't believe that she has shifted her worldview about the Holocaust. I believe that she was cudgeled. That's a logical fallacy called a slippery slope argument. You can look that up. Into quietude about what she actually thinks. I mean, she basically said that on Colbert. She was like, yeah, I've heard all of your criticism and now I don't want to hear it anymore. So I'll just take your word for it. I'll take your word for it. Okay, fine. So here's the deal. She's now been suspended for a couple of weeks. According to TV Line, she's this been suspended where, for two weeks. ABC News bad. President Kim Godwin confirmed the suspension on Tuesday and released a statement saying, effective immediately, I am suspending Whoopi Goldberg for two weeks for her wrong and hurtful comments. While Whoopi has apologized, I've asked her to take time to reflect and learn about the impact of her comments. The entire ABC News organization stands in solidarity with our Jewish colleagues, friends, family, and communities. So 
Today's episode of The View aired with four co-hosts, Joy Behar, Sonny Hostin, Sarah Haynes, and Tara Setmeyer. So again, combined IQ, that of a kumquat. The uproar began on Monday's episode of the ABC daytime talk show on that conversation over the graphic novel Mouse and a Tennessee school board not using it for eighth graders. And then she had issued an apology on Monday night where she quoted Jonathan Greenblatt of the ADL and then she went on Colbert and all the rest of it. So apparently some of the other ladies of The View are very upset about all of this. They, they say that really she shouldn't be suspended for, for any of this sort of stuff and that they're angry about all of this. But here is the thing. Here's the thing. You set the standard. You said now in a normal world, I would say that you shouldn't be suspended because I'm basically in favor of people being able to say whatever they want to say. And so long as they aren't calling for violence and so long as they aren't overtly reflecting Nazi tautologies, then I think they should pretty much be able to stay on the air, which is why I've never called for the deplatforming of pretty much anyone, including, by the way, people who I think are absolutely horrifying in every available respect. In fact, even if people are, are Nazis, I, I generally think that they shouldn't be taken off places like Twitter or Facebook, because uh, I believe that the best rebuttal to that sort of terrible speech is better speech. And so I normally wouldn't think that Whoopi Goldberg should be removed from air. I mean, they knew what they had when they hired her and nothing has changed since then. Do they have the right to suspend her? Sure, they have the right to suspend her in the same way they had the right to suspend Roseanne Barr. But here is where the fun comes to play. Okay, so here's the thing. They didn't just suspend Roseanne Barr for making a racist statement about Valerie Jarrett. They fired Roseanne Barr and took the top-rated sitcom off the air. So here is the deal. If you guys are going to play this game, where if somebody is openly identified as anywhere close to a conservative and they say something that is a bad thing, little trademark symbol, if somebody says a bad thing, then they are completely removed from their job, then you don't get to suspend Whoopi Goldberg. You have to fire her. These are the standards and you set them and you don't get to play by two sets of standards. I know there are a lot of people on the right today who are just out and out defending Whoopi Goldberg. You know, she should keep her job. On a principled level, I agree with you. She should keep her job. But the left does not live on that principled level. On a principled level, but let's sink to a new low. Let's, let's, avo let's avoid principles. Let's, let's, let's let a golden opportunity pass us by and let's go with the uh, tit for tat. That sounds like a good idea. Anymore. Petty so mutually assured bullshit. destruction must be achieved here because the way that the system currently works is that if you are somebody who is even remotely to the right of Karl Marx and you say something that the left perceives as bad, they will attempt to deplatform you. They will attempt to destroy your advertisers and they will demand that you be silenced. And until the left learns that this standard applies to everyone or no one, it should apply to everyone. Until the left learns that they don't get to play this game where Whoopi Goldberg goes off the air for two weeks. But if you're a conservative and you say something similar, then they knock you off air forever. Then Whoopi Goldberg should be knocked off air forever. Them's the rules. You made them and now you get to live with them. The double standard is significantly worse. The double standard is significantly worse than holding them to their own standard here. The reason being, if one side applies the rules and one side does not apply the rules, there really are no rules. There is just a cudgel. And that's what the left has been using. I'll take an example. So Ilya Shapiro. Okay, so we'll leave that alone there. That's enough, Shapiro. But I want to bring this up because I, I think that Ben Shapiro must be teaching his kids that two wrongs actually do make a right. That, that's your logic, Ben. It, it's articulated and you say it really fast so everybody thinks it makes sense. But no, it doesn't. It's fucking stupid. It's fucking stupid and it's childish, right? So let's just put this out there for example, right? So he's going to call, what is it, the, the combined IQ of a kumquat. So he's in, insulting people like a, like a child because he is a child. He's the size of a child. He looks like a child. He's a fucking child. So you're going to name call. So if I went on, say I went on Joe Rogan's uh, podcast and I said um, exactly what I said on this podcast, that I think that 
uh, out and out complete uh, defense of Israel in every single circumstance is is naive and 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 unjust, and civilians maybe shouldn't get blown to fucking pieces for existing, right? And then I tacked on, oh by the way, and Ben Shapiro is a fucking nerd, right? So I'll just do some name calling, right? He would blow a gasket. And he would be speaking 300 miles an hour on his show talking about how I am some radical leftist, which is by no means true, right? I mean, shit, I think I'm more of a conservative than Ben is in some fashion. But you're sitting here and saying, oh, well, here, here we have to apply the rules on both sides, right? That's, that's Shapiro's stance here. We got we to tip for tat because that's, that's the mature thing to do. Because if the rules don't apply in both ways, the rules that I hate, if they don't apply in both ways, in both directions, then, then they don't exist. Well, Ben, I think there's another way to look at this, right? Maybe take the higher, higher road here and say, hey, I'm going to be outspoken about defending her ability to say something that I disagree with. I think the apology was in good faith and genuine. I don't think that, that, that Whoopi Goldberg is a, is a Holocaust denier. I think she was wrong and a little bit ignorant, yeah. Those are, that, that's true. But I'm sticking with facts here today. Unlike Shapiro. So when you look at this whole thing, the reason we're talking about this for so long is to point out the hypocrisy. You know who was defending Whoopi Goldberg and her right to not get suspended for even two weeks, much less not get fired? Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity said she shouldn't have been suspended. And, and in some, somehow, maybe because it has to do with Judaism, Shapiro takes a different stance. And you know what that does? You know what that does? It just emboldens the radical left. That's who it emboldens. Instead, use this as a shining example. You have a person on the view. Okay? You defend that person's right to be wrong and right to free speech. You can use that as an example for years to come of how principled actors handle speech. Not saying, well, I I defend Nazis' rights to be on Twitter, but Whoopi Goldberg needs to be fired? Come on, bro. What are you doing? So, if I'm off base here, Shapiro... Let's have a conversation. I'm down. But right now, it seems like you've abandoned principles for some reason. And it's pretty fucking shady to me. But as we say on the show all the time, the hypocrisy knows no bounds. This one goes out to a uh, person that I know that says, if we just would have locked down harder, we never would have had to deal with COVID in the way that we did. So let's check this out. I don't know, I don't know why that uh, rationale even exists or if it, it, it's so far askew from reality. But here we got, a, we got an article from the Daily Mail citing a Johns Hopkins, um, not yet peer-reviewed, by the way, study saying lockdowns, school closures, and limiting gatherings only reduce COVID mortality by 0.2%. 0.2% at enormous economic and social cost study finds. 
The original coronavirus lockdowns had little to no effect on pandemic death tolls in the U.S., U.K., and Europe, a controversial report suggests. Economists who carried out a meta-analysis found draconian restrictions imposed in 2022, including stay-at-home orders, compulsory masks, and social distancing, only reduced COVID mortality by 0.2%. They warned that lockdowns caused enormous economic and social costs and concluded they were ill-founded and should be rejected as a pandemic policy instrument going forward. I think that's important because we can give a little bit of leeway early on didn't know what the hell was going on um you gotta try some things out you gotta be overtly cautious for maybe two weeks to a month right until we kind of get our bearing and see what the hell is going on here um of course now we're two years in and like if people are cheering because jefferson and denver and boulder county are like you can go with in somewhere without wearing a mask now and i'm like we've been doing that <laughs> like that's not like nobody complies. It's to the point now where if you go to like Golden or Arvada here in Colorado and you walk into a place that has a mask, uh, everybody has to have them on their business. If the person wearing the mask is the outlier, like because you you what you did was completely undermine your credibility by being fucking ridiculous. Anyways, come on, continuing here. The review, led by a Johns Hopkins University professor, professor, argued that border closings had virtually zero effect on COVID mortality, only reducing deaths by 0.1%. However, closing non-essential businesses uh, was found to be the most effective intervention, leading to 10% drop in virus fatalities. Their report, which has not yet been peer-reviewed, and we need to reiterate that because that's important, uh, we need to see this thing peer-reviewed, but as of now, this is where we're at said that this was probably due to shutting pubs and restaurants where alcohol is consumed. School closures were linked to a smaller 4.4% decrease. The researchers who dealt uh, in the field of economics rather than medicine or public, public health originally identified 18,590 global studies into lockdowns, which they claim had, had to be whittled down to just 24 to answer their research questions, which makes sense if you're looking at the UK, the US, and uh, Western society versus the rest of the world. If you consider the whole world like we culturally those are very similar. Whereas if we go to the, you know, other places that may not be the case, uh, more people living in homes together, things like that, um, or more rural areas. So checking this out, critics have accused them of cherry picking studies to suit their narrative and have raised doubts about the bias of its authors who have been vocal about lockdowns and vaccine mandates on social media. Most scientists believe that before the Arrival of vaccines and antivirals lockdowns had a significant effect on cutting transmission and therefore reducing the number of hospital admissions and COVID deaths. So we got a pretty chart here. Um, so what we're seeing here is is the efficacy. Now border closures, it's been pretty well accepted that those were garbage as far as as far as um, slowing the spread or decreasing death. Um, and I like I said, if we're doing this temporarily to buy us time to figure out what the hell's going on, like. You can give a little grace there. And I do agree with what they said. Like, I think um, bars, for example, like bars at full capacity with music on, like you've kind of got to get in people's faces to talk or like even ordering a drink sometimes, like leaning over the bar. It depends on where you're at. Um, oftentimes, like dive bars aren't very, very, very well ventilated. If you're in somewhere that's cold, it's going to be in the wintertime, it's going to be um, even more or even less ventilated uh, because you're trying to keep the heat in. So yeah, that make I can, I can get on board with that. That that makes some sense. But what we're seeing here is that, and if you really break this down, okay, we know that most of the spread of COVID happened in the household, right? So when you close down, and this is where it got really weird, and we're talking about extreme measures here: closing down the beach, closing down public parks, things like that. Even after we were really pretty fucking sure that this stuff didn't transmit outside very well at all, right? And if you went to like. Portland, people would be riding around on bikes with masks on, right? It was a weird deal. Maybe they would get like shot if they didn't. I don't know. Unless you were in the chop. But um, 
or Chaz or whatever it was called. So what happens is we have people, right? Like say you live at a house like I have, right? Like where we're at, which we're very lucky to have. And we didn't get this till like a year after COVID started, but COVID's what drove us. Look, we need a little bit of space. We're losing our minds here. Um, and privileged enough to do so. We got three acres out here. Got plenty of room. If we had kids, they could run around. They'd have, we could have kids over, keep them outside, do all that kind of stuff. That's one reality. That's not the reality that the most of this, of this country lives in, right? Lots of birthday parties are at public parks, out on, at the beach, getting kids out, doing their thing, all that stuff. What you did was then put everybody in a house together. Didn't let them leave. Didn't let them get outside. Didn't let them move around. The weight gain has been absolutely unbelievable. The, the mental and physical health of this nation has plummeted in the past two years due to these draconian measures, the impacts of which on children wearing masks in schools and, and having to do virtual learning, even when the worst, the people that are most impacted by that are kids that don't have good access to Wi-Fi or healthy family homes. So, like, you got to be really mindful about what you're talking about here. The people that were okay are the most privileged among us, and the people that were hurt the most are the people that, that need stability the most, that need an income the most. And it's this liberal ideology that's really odd to me because it's, it's already biased so hard for the, working, or for the white-collar workers, right, for the liberal intelligentsia at the cost of the working class. And one of the reasons that I can't really get on board with any political party is because I care a lot about the working class of this country. That's where I came from. The opportunities that I have in my life now are because of my working class family that worked their ass off and it got a little bit lucky. So I have a lot of pride in that. And when I see that community being fucking hammered, it pisses me off and rightfully so. So this is a great study. I'm curious to see the critics on this. I'd like to see this discussed uh, openly and loudly and often. I'd like to see debates on things like this. I'm not accepting this for fact right now. That's not what this is about. But it's worth discussing. And the reason that I'm discussing it now and not waiting until it's peer-reviewed is because it might get buried. Because we can't trust our media or Google or who the fuck else ever, like whoever's out there, right, to actually be objective and actually answer honest questions and actually maybe be accountable for their mistakes. So great study here. I'm really curious to see where this goes. Love seeing this kind of conversation started. I want to see this discussed. That's what I'm calling for now. I'm not sitting here being like, this is definitive fact. It's not peer-reviewed. Let's get it peer-reviewed. But I want to see discussions around this going forward. It's super important to those among us that really can't handle what we just went through again. And if we don't get over this bullshit... Those are the people that are going to get hurt the most. And if you don't accept that, you're being dishonest with yourself. And that's a huge, huge fucking problem. All right. Now it's time for that part of the show where I give you something to think about. All right, all right, all right. You know, I can't say that I've been great at this. 
in this um, foyer into politics in the past couple of years. <laughs> I mean, COVID pushed me here and frustration pushed me here. So I can't say that I've been great at being empathetic with people I don't agree with um, on the whole. But again, I feel it's my responsibility to call bullshit and point out hypocrisy where it exists because it seems to be a strength of mine. Fact check me on that. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think for someone like me, maybe being loud and outspoken, and of course, you got to get the clicks on social media, and you got to get views, and you got to be a little clickbaity more so than I want to because it kind of drives me fucking nuts. But when we look at this whole thing, I think that empathy is lacking so much. As we talked about with that study and seeing how much the working class has just been decimated by the pandemic response, not the pandemic itself, the pandemic itself and the response compounded to just completely destroy the working class even more so than it already has been by Clinton-era policies and, and, and globalization, right? We care so little. I don't say we. I care a lot. You probably care a lot. But the decision makers in our world seem to care so little. There's a lack of empathy and putting yourself in their shoes. And I can say if I didn't come from a working class family, I probably wouldn't be very good at it either. So I have to empathize with the lack of empathy, right? It's like a circle. But we also have to call out hypocrisy where it exists. I think it's one of the most important things we can do. Now, you can do that, like Shapiro with name-calling, like me with name-calling and being an asshole. Let's, let's, let, I need to face some accountability as well. I'm kind of a dick. But when you're on the mic and you're on front of a camera, right, get a little animated, get a little fired up. In my own personal life, I try to do things a little differently. <laughs> and that's what I want you guys to think about today. When we look at this whole situation... Empathy, steel-manning arguments, understanding where someone's coming from, no matter if their ideas are completely ridiculous, just like saying that if we would have locked down harder, this wouldn't have happened, that people should have complied more, and this wouldn't have happened. It's hard as fuck, but can you try to see where they're coming from? And then, and only then, can you call out hypocrisy with a little bit of compassion. If you're calling people, and we saw this today, we looked at it at the show, that was so much of the show is about this, and this is why I wanted to bring this up and something to think about. In so much of this, we have hypocrites calling out hypocrisy. And I think the linchpin in solving that problem is empathy. If you can call out hypocrisy by steel manning the other person's argument and then poking holes in it, not straw manning, taking the strongest version of that other person's argument and then pointing out the hypocrisy, it's a much healthier and much more effective for you and the people you're talking to. Compassion is important, guys. Now, I reserve the right to be a dick and call out people like Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell and these other fucking corrupt assholes, right? <laughs> And maybe I, I definitely am a hypocrite calling out hypocrisy sometimes because we all are. And we got to take responsibility for that. 
But if we can steal man and do our best to empathize with the people we disagree with most, we'll probably find we have more common ground and maybe similar intentions, even though they act out, they come out in very different ways. What I want is a more effective strategy for calling out hypocrisy that actually resonates. And that comes with a little bit of empathy and a little bit of compassion. But hey, it's something to think about. Thank you guys so much for being here and joining us today. Oh, we'll see how this goes. I wonder if I'll get called anti-Semitic. Maybe I'll get called racist. Who knows? <laughs> but either way, we're still going to keep doing it. We're going to keep doing it, y'all. Keep your head on straight. We'll see you next time. I love you. Bye-bye.